I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection podcast that looks at the things we loved when we were younger through the lens of our adult selves and asks the question, is this good? Because, you know, it's hard to determine if we were just kids, bright-eyed about the future, or, uh, hey, if, if that thing snuck, snuck in some actual good content. We're going to discover that today, but I'm not going to discover it alone. That would be just the mad ramblings of a, of a very sad man. Uh, so I've brought in other sad men to help me. And the first one I want to uh, want to introduce is my co-pilot, Nick Shermooksness. Nick, hello. Hello. I am very sad. Great. Oh, thanks for just really just setting the bar there. And yeah, yeah. well, this, this next person we brought in, we actually had to bring in because... Uh, we thought we were too sad. We needed somebody who could bring in the cool. You you know this guy from around the internet. You have heard him on a bunch of different shows. You've seen his artwork on this show. Whenever you pull it up on your podcatcher, you have probably heard him a lot on the Zang This podcast. You've seen his great art around on Instagram and on his website. You've probably heard him rambling along with me in one of the shows we used to do and will do again in the future. That person is none other than Phil Rude. Phil, hello. Hi, guys. Thanks for I, being here. I'm I was really Phil is still here after that. <laughs> I, I, I went and got a sandwich during that intro. And now I, <laughs> I sat back down just in time. I could have gone on for another 10 minutes, all right? I could sing your praises all day long. You're too kind, sir. Wow. Well, you know, I, I, I just, I do it because like, I gotta, you know, I gotta have a cool friend who, who makes art. It's like a quota. Uh, I have a cool friend who still makes a podcast, a couple of them. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's really cool to be uh, sitting down with you again, uh, both of you, because we did uh, Heck Yeah Comics. But yeah, David, uh, we <laughs> I haven't talked to you in a long time on the mic, so it's it's really cool to sit down and do this again. Yeah, I know. It's been a hot minute, and we uh, we touch base every once in a while, because for people who listen to Brokebot Mountain, you've probably realized by now a new episode hasn't come out in a while. And uh, we're, we're we missed an entire season of the show that started <laughs> yeah, that show. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So Phil and I, we're going to get back to it eventually. But, you know, life being what it is, things are a little bit crazy. So I'll just say untitled Rude Lusator Project coming. Right. At some point. At some point. Uh, but maybe this will be the backdoor. Pl- no, wait, you can't. We can't have a spinoff of this show already. We're only three episodes in. I think and, I'm going to go make a sandwich. You guys seem to be doing okay. No, wait, Nick, we need you. <laughs> Mate, how about how about I introduce the topic this week? Will that make everybody feel better? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right, Moving forward. Great. Well, Phil, you brought us this week the 1989 film Batman. This 1989 superhero film was directed by Tim Burton and stars Michael Keaton as the titular Batman facing off against the Joker. This movie depicts the rise of the Joker, played by Jack Nicholson, and his attempts to take over Gotham City while Batman works to stop him. Now, we have a lot to say on this movie itself and whether or not it still holds up, but before we get to all of that, I think we should stop and take a moment to reflect on what each of our own personal histories is with this movie. Now, Phil, since you brought this to us, why don't you start us off? What's your history with the 1989 Batman film? I was... uh... I saw this right before I went into high school. This came out the the summer between my eighth grade and ninth grade years. Uh, and it was a cultural phenomenon at the time. Like it's, this was an enormous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just the reaction to, I remember just seeing a trailer to it and going, Oh my God, there's a, there's a Batman movie coming out and it looks super dark and super weird. Um, I didn't, really know the whole Tim Burton thing. You know, I didn't, I knew Michael Keaton from Mr. Mom. I had no familiarity with Jack Nicholson. Uh, My first reaction, I think was that I thought it was, why is that pro golfer playing the Joker? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, 
no, and I, I, my dad took me to see this movie and, uh, and we had a, a great time with it. It was, and this movie eventually, uh, it just sort of got in my head. We got the VHS tape for Christmas that year. I remember. And this was a, we were a family that t- all of our movies that we owned were taped off of TV. So to actually <laughs> own a, a legit copy of something was, was pretty rare. I think we had this in ET were like our two like actual VHS tapes. Um, this was a big movie. I watched, I watched this a lot and, uh, the sequel. I was, I was a really big fan of these, uh, in their day. Mm-hmm. Well, very cool. Yeah. I, I'm excited to definitely get to the, the, the perspective of, uh, I don't want to pull the curtain back too much here, but Phil, you are a little bit older than Nick and myself. A little uh, bit. So Nick and I did not grow up with this film quite in the same way. We were both uh, sweet little babies when this movie hit the theaters. Uh, but Nick, for you, what what is your history growing up with this movie? Do you have one? Well, when I was one years old, one year old in 1989, I loved it. I thought it was great. It changed my life. <laughs> lots, of, um, lots of colors. It was dark in all the right ways. Uh, what, wait, what are we talking about again? Batman. Yeah, that's right. Um, I probably didn't see it until I honestly don't remember. So I'm a huge comic book nerd for those who remember heck yeah comics. Um, and I, I also, I love Batman. I wouldn't say he's my favorite superhero. Um, that obviously goes to Howard the duck. Um, but I do remember seeing this movie at some point. I can't say for sure the uh, indelible impact it had on me. Um, I think I enjoyed it when I did watch it, um, but it didn't quite follow me through the years. Honestly, I think when I think honestly, Batman Returns left more an impression, and even more so. And this makes me sad uh batman forever and batman and robin i think really <laughs> left an impression on me in good and bad ways um, much more so than this so it was really interesting because while there's like flashes in my mind that i remember from when i last watched it which probably was the first time i watched it um it really felt like i was discovering it for the first time okay interesting i would say that my experience is probably a little bit similar to yours where i don't really remember the first time that i saw this movie um but it's always just kind of been a, like I, I saw it when I was a kid, but in the same way as you, like I don't think it really made a huge impact on me. And uh, I, I probably better remember also Batman and Robin and Batman Forever for good and for bad. Uh, I hope we can get those movies on here one day, but I don't think anybody has even nostalgic love for them. <laughs> Is uh, this movie still good? Was this movie ever good? Was this movie ever good? Uh, but being a big Batman fan and, you know, being very interested in the, like the way that Batman's evolved over the years, I have revisited parts of this film over and over again, uh, seen probably clips of it more than I've ever seen it as one big thing. So much like you, Nick, this viewing of it was, uh, the the first time I remember watching the whole thing in forever. And it really did kind of have that discovering quality as well, where it's like, well, I kind of remember that, but, Boy, they did that in this movie. That was a a, th- a choice that was made in 1989. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll get kind of what we think about it in just a moment. But for you out there listening, if you are unfamiliar at all with this movie, or you're wondering how this movie came to be, here's a little bit of history on Batman 1989. With interest in Batman declining in the late 1970s, producers Benjamin Melnicker and Michael E. Uslan purchased the film rights for the character from DC Comics and shopped around a darker take on the character. However, most studios were only interested in something with the campy tone of the widely popular Batman TV show from the 1960s. Warner Brothers, who had had success with the Superman films, decided to make the movie, and over the next eight years, the film went through close to a dozen rewrites with a number of directors and actors attached to different times, until Tim Burton, who had just made Pee-wee's Big Adventure, was hired. After more rewrites and changes, and writing the success of The Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke, which featured darker takes on Batman and the Joker, the film went into production in 1988 with the divisive divisive actor choice of Michael Keaton in the titular role. The film was a critical and financial success when it opened, and eventually spawned three sequels, 
and the success also led to the acclaimed Batman the Animated Series being created, which I did not know. Wow. Um, I have to say that I think the most bombastic revelation from that was that Tim Burton directed Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I did not know that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that was the movie that kind of put him on the map for a lot of people. And not only was Michael Keaton a little bit of a divisive choice, so was Tim Burton. Like People were like, the guy that directed Pee-wee's Big Adventure is directing a Batman movie? Which is funny that that was that was divisive at the time because the same attitude happened when John Favreau was was directing the first Iron Man movie because he was the guy that did Elf. If you oh think wow! About it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you, the Rousseaus as well, right? The Rousseaus got their start uh, doing sitcoms, or got their I guess their name doing sitcoms. Like I've been watching a bunch of Community lately, and they directed a bunch of episodes of that. They directed a bunch of Arrested Development. And then they turn around and they make Endgame. I mean, they made other films before that, but that's where the, like the, there's something, I think there's a lot, something about comedy and action that go hand in hand because the comedy is all about timing and same thing with action. So if you can make a well-crafted comedy, then you're probably going to do pretty well making sure those beats land when it comes to the action. Interesting take. I dig it. Well, very, very cool. So, Man, where do we start with 1989's Batman? Because I could jump just to, to to the acting, to the aesthetic. Well, actually, let's start kind of just at the beginning of it because the movie, I think, actually does set a pretty good aesthetic right off the bat. What do you guys think? I I love the aesthetic of this movie. I think I think it's that. I mean, you think of Tim Burton. It's the elements of. Like this movie, he had done uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which definitely has some weird parts to it and some very nightmarish surrealism to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he had done Beetlejuice by this time as well, yeah. which is definitely, uh, you know, old school Tim Burton. Um, but I remember in, in just in talking about like the the reaction to this movie when it came out. I told you my dad took me to see this, but when I first told him like it was coming out and he saw this trailer for it, uh, he really was like, who is this for? (laughs) Um, You know, because you talked about like uh, they wanted a darker take on Batman and, you know, all anyone really knew was like Adam West Batman and the Super Friends and, you know, this kind of thing. He was like, this isn't for kids. And, you know, this remember, this is 1989. (laughs) Adults aren't going to go watch a comic book movie. He just kind of didn't understand what it was. Tim Burton was not as well known as he is now. Like people sort of understand like, oh, you're going to get some twisted nightmare kind of vision. But really, like this movie isn't that dark. It looks very dark. The the aesthetic is dark. But this movie's a lot goofier than I remember it being. You know what I mean? Yeah. I described this movie to a couple people when I was discussing that I had to watch this. I'm like, you know, as far as I am concerned, this movie is a cartoon. It Absolutely, yeah. Jack Nicholson especially is really just hamming it up all over the place. And, you know, some people love the cartoony aspect of it, but it really is, like, as you said, it's really goofy. I don't know, Nick, what's, what's your thoughts on that? So I'm curious how much of the goof was intentional um, because part of it may have just been limitations at the time that they could do creatively. Um, And there were other aspects of it that I felt like it was trying to take itself seriously and it didn't quite land. Um, You know, there's like the scene where it's pretty minor scene, I think, and towards the beginning where like Batman quote unquote flies away and you see like his shadow and the shadow however they designed the shadow I'm assuming it wasn't CGI was kind of awkward looking as it as it went away or he did like the scene where he pulls up his cape and like the vampire you know move and yeah. I was like well I I don't feel threatened by this at all I mean those criminals were scared but I was like mm. yeah the the, um, the scene near the beginning where the two criminals are talking about like oh I'm a, you know I'm, the Batman's is a rumor you know like, you can't be afraid of him and then there's Batman gliding down <laughs> behind him with his cape all held up but it looks like th- it doesn't look super good now like i'm sure back then it was like oh there's batman but now it's like what is why is his cape all pointy 
Yeah, uh, I think fourteen-year-old this... Phil was very impressed by that shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, to be fair, fourteen-year-old Nick also would have been pretty impressed. And it's you know, I think we, you know, obviously someone born yesterday in the, whatever they experience in the next twenty years, like they're at. I mean, maybe it's not the apex, but just what we're able to accomplish with digital graphics and costuming and stuff like we've just come so far. So watching this, it felt like I had to rewind both like my cinematic expectations and my understanding and in general feelings on Batman to this point in time. And it was pretty hard. Yeah, that's that's a difficult thing to do, right? Like there's the scene near the end when uh like the the parade scene is so kind of anticlimactic in so many ways, but the like because Batman's just flying around for most of it, and then he does that thing where he flies up above the cloud cover for some reason in the the bat wing uh, makes the outline along the moon, in front of like the it's, moon. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the bat symbol. And in my head, I'm like, if I was a kid, I would think that is so cool. But right now, I'm like, why did he do that? To be fair, like, this to is going to look neat. As an adult, I thought that was super cool when I watched it yesterday. There I, was, it was like, I felt like in this movie, it was both amazing and also kind of terrible. But yeah. it was like there were aesthetic choices about it that were so. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, I'm going to use the word confidence. Basically, like they, for the most part, it seemed like they knew exactly what they were doing. So the way that a certain scene was shot, or the certain lighting that they used, or costuming, or something, like they were going for a very intentional effect. And while there was plenty, plenty, sorry, elements of it that were silly, there were also parts that I thought were generally gratifying. And the bat moon thing was a little excessive, but it still kind of looked cool for what it was. Yeah, no, and this movie for being in made in 1989, like has some really great visuals. I I really think that it does, but also some stuff that doesn't like that like the bat suit. He can't turn his head. He can't. Get <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> the fight scenes were terrible. Oh, the fight scenes were so. It just bad. it was so clear. Like I. I, when I, I'm sure when I watched it, I didn't pay attention to his neck or anything. It's somewhere in the last, sorry, like 20 years, I probably learned about how like uncomfortable the, you know, the bat suit was. And now I'm an adult and you're not going to see me in that kind of outfit. And when I'm watching it, I'm seeing how he's like trying to throw a kick and he probably like can barely stretch his leg up while he's doing it. But he's supposed to be this menacing, competent fighter. I was like, oh, ooh. Yeah, he's beating up ninjas in the alley, you know, uh, even though he moves his head like he's had a horror horrific back injury you know <laughs> right. like it's he's all stiff um it looks I'm, i don't want to get off track on it because everybody rails against this movie it, like cgi doesn't fix that either in terms of like the irishman you have robert downey jr or not robert downey jr robert de niro the irish with a cgi face uh of young de niro He's still moving like an 80-year-old man, and that's sort of the feeling I got watching uh, 40-year-old Batman, or however old Michael Keaton was at the time. But he's moving like an old man in this ninja body armor suit that he's supposed (laughs) to be wearing. Yeah, yeah. The the fight scenes were a real letdown as somebody who loves that aspect of Batman from the comics. Um, Okay, so the... Michael Keaton is 68 right now, so he would have been late 30s for this movie. Uh, Yeah, him, the the, the punches were so... Like, they would do that thing where they would close up on a criminal's face, and then the fist would come in. Right. Uh, (laughs) Or I think, like, when when Jack Nicholson gets pushed into the vat, there's, like, he he gets... I don't know if it was, like, kicked or... I forget. uh, His face gets hurt, or... from yes. something or the battering i don't remember um and basically he hits the railing and he hits it in a way where like he would have just stopped like maybe he would have bent over slightly but he wouldn't have gone over the railing so you just see him as he hits it and then i don't know if they did like a quick like film scene change or whatever in it and then he's just like toppling over the other side <laughs> even though the momentum would not have done that yeah st- stunts were not i think high priority in this movie uh which whatever it is what it is also neither was plotting because i felt like there was so much in this movie that was basically just taken for granted like okay jack nicholson is a high level enforcer for a mob boss 
he you know becomes the joker he takes control and then suddenly he has all of these joker themed armaments that he just pulled out of nowhere <laughs> in the span of like a week if that i don't know how i feel like the movie takes place over a couple of weeks at best and like suddenly he's like created these floats for the parade and uh, the mix this poison and all this other stuff i'm like when did you have time to do this well and and uh, he's so that instead of ace chemicals for some reason they change it to axis chemicals that's something that i hate that they do in superhero stuff where it's like well we don't want it to sound too cheesy it's like it's already called batman wasn't there something maybe there was something called ace at the time like a certain brand that was popular oh, maybe i'm maybe. thinking of acme but like it, <laughs> i think it was like a real brand and maybe they just chose to avoid it and went with axis well, well anyway the, my my point being that like like three scenes later after he gets toppled in that thing he's like running that axis chemicals like he just suddenly has control over it and is like making the joker gas there he's oh, had yeah. full Sorry, he's had point. full facial reconstructive surgery and come back in the span of about 24 hours yeah and 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 taken over the entire mob um it's it's productive. yeah it's a, it's a weird uh it's a weirdly paced movie uh, because you don't really get a timestamp of like how long everything's taken. Like at the same time, like he has uh, Michael Keaton has one date with Vicki Vale and she's like head over heels in love with him. And and this huge drama about it and all of it, you know, as, as uh, again, I'm going to keep going back to 14 year old me had no problem with that because uh, it was just sort of like, oh, this is what it is. And. You know, we didn't have a reference for superhero movies the way we do now. Yeah. And it does sort of retroactively just kind of come off as very silly uh, 30 years later. Yeah. And he, Bruce Wayne, is wanting to tell her, like, after after their, like, two dates that he's Batman. Right. And one thing, too, <laughs> to not just talk about, like, the visuals and kind of the goofiness of the film, I really felt like the film did not have a strong, a super strong understanding of Batman. Because... He for a lot a lot of the movie, which I kind of like that approach to it at the beginning, where it's like he's we don't really see him a lot. Like other other stuff's going on, he's just kind of there. But it takes a while to get to Bruce Wayne, and then Bruce Wayne doesn't seem to understand why he's Batman. He, he doesn't. I don't think he understands anything. I always felt like Michael Keaton was like like someone was talking to him in his ear or something. The way that he would kind of look off in the distance, stuff like maybe he was trying to be like brooding and just like looking off and thinking. I think that's some what he was trying thoughts. for. Yeah. But I just felt like he would be like talking to someone, but someone else, like there was a microphone in his ear, like telling him other stuff. And he was like, oh, oh, wait, what? Um, Michael Keaton was a really interesting choice, and I can, and I understand now why. I mean. I understand that he was divisive before the movie came out and now retroactively I'm looking at it and I'm also thinking like, I don't really know what, and I, I don't know this, this isn't, isn't necessarily Michael Keaton's fault, but I don't really know what direction they were trying to give him to go in. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I mean, if you want to get nuts, let's get nuts, right? Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Oh my God. Right. That Worst scene, line. what, okay, sorry, that's been stuck on my mind since yesterday. What was the point of that scene? So he's kind of off to the side. Joker comes in, and he, Joker doesn't really do anything. He harasses her and then leaves. But before he leaves, Bat, Bruce Wayne comes out, starts breaking her stuff. Like, try, I don't know if he's trying to look like, there's no clear point to his actions. Then he get, but he, but you know that he assumed that he would get shot. So he put the thing in his shirt. And he does get shot. He falls to the ground, pretends to be dead. Joker leaves. And then uh, Vicky Vale looks behind her and he's gone. But like it didn't amount to anything. It, it wasn't like it suddenly it was Bruce Wayne's dead in the newspapers. And there was this ongoing plot line just like next scene. He's like in the Batcave or something. Yeah, this this movie had a few scenes where it was like Joker comes in, uh, terrorizes some people, says some stuff and then leaves. That's All right, it. I I'm uh, I'm going to reveal something here. Ooh. Uh, oh, no. I, I've not said this out loud. Uh, but I read the novelization of this what? movie when I was, <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, and after that big showdown at Vicki Vale's apartment, which by the way, hadn't she just gotten to town and wasn't yeah. sure how long she was going to stay, but she's all settled into this it, awesome penthouse this apartment. Huge apartment. That a she's photographer like, can afford. Yeah. Right. She's, she's like, I'm just passing through. For, yes. Um, 
And there was a there was a scene after that that did I don't know if it wasn't filmed, but a lot of times those novelizations come from like early drafts of scripts mm-hmm. uh, where the Joker is, uh, you know, they take off and Batman or Michael Keaton basically puts on a ski mask and follows him and they have some confrontation in the middle of town. Uh, okay. So if it, there was a scene after that. I don't know if it smooths out everything that happened in the apartment. But it is like it is essentially half of a sequence that was originally planned for that. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and that makes and one of the things I have the biggest problem with is for some reason, Kim Basinger has a giant bowl of popcorn on her mantle. Yes, yes. I and that is the that. only thing she is concerned about saving off of that entire mantle. Yes, when she backs up against the mantle, I'm like, is that just a bowl of popcorn? A bowl of popcorn? Why is that there? It's bothered me since I first saw this movie. It's always it been was, strange to me. But and it's, It was already popped. Like, didn't she come home during that scene? Mm-hmm. So there was just a bowl of popcorn left there. She just always has one around. You know, you never know when, like, you're going to want to throw on a movie and you're a little hungry and or you're hosting some decorative, people. Decorative and, popcorn. Decorative popcorn. She did spontaneously end up with an apartment full of people, so it's good to have some it's, popcorn it's, on hand. Maybe that happens oh, to her. Oh, I'm being attacked. Here's some popcorn, guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, one thing that, that Batman movies tend to do is, like, really try to fit in a love interest. Uh, how do you guys feel about that in general? Because I feel like that always either ends up taking away from the character of Bruce Wayne slash Batman a little bit, or it feels kind of forced. I love it. Start. It it always reads to me like his girlfriend is always there, just to show that Bruce Wayne is so dedicated to being Batman that he doesn't have time to mm. have a a relationship. That's the only purpose that uh, Batman love interests ever serve, or to be some sort of. I mean, it's. Uh, Maybe a stretch, but like when you get into like Dark Knight, then it becomes like girl in the refrigerator kind of thing. It is it is a vengeance tool or a uh, personal sacrifice sort of thing. The only thing that I think works is is when they do the Catwoman, uh, hmm. the Catwoman thing. Right. Hmm. Right. Yeah. The key, yeah. key word being right, because right. It is yeah, not so always it's, done. it's been done wrong uh, several times. Yep. And it's like, I think that. It's it's not impossible for Bruce, and I'm saying Bruce in this sense, not Batman. You know, to have like a quote unquote normal love interest in his narratives. I don't think the movies have quite succeeded yet, and I agree with the Catwoman sentiment. Just because like it's less like a, of a love story and just more of like a, a I don't know what you want to call it like a magnet. Like there's a there's a char- charisma and chemistry between them, and it's maybe a little overtly sexual or whatever. But like you're not necessarily watching and thinking like this is going to end with a kiss and they're going to run off into the sunset together. Um, but I also think that it must be something where, and who knows what the maybe original writers wanted, but I feel like they're sitting in the studio and like the directors or producers or whatever are just sitting there like, well, we can't just have him care about Alfred. Like that's no one cares. I mean, I love Alfred, but and then it was sort of like, oh, and we probably don't want to do Robin because if he only cares about Alfred and then he only cares about Robin, that could be problematic. And then it's sort of like they just needed to inject someone in there. So he had someone else because literally, at least in the, the movies, generally, he has no one besides Alfred that he cares about. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Um, but the fact that they cast Billy D. Williams in this movie and then gave him almost nothing to do is just like make him the new best friend of Bruce Wayne. Go just jettison the the Vicky Vale character storyline and just basically repurpose it to a Harvey Dent storyline. And I am way more interested in Billy D. Williams having more screen time is what I'm trying to say. And them having a one night stand that blossoms into a okay. potential I, marriage. I never said that it had to follow the same exact beats, but also, mm. you know what? <laughs> Why not? Not bad. Have you read David's fan fiction? Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, oh what, what, like with the character of Vicky Vale and uh, Harvey Dent, you know, uh, Tim Burton would later make another Batman movie, but then was like, well, I don't want to do a sequel. So let's uh, just basically get rid of everything I did in that first movie and pretend it never happened. Because I'm pretty sure what him and Vicky Vale, like Vicky Vale doesn't even appear in the movie. It's like they're mentioned off screen. They broke up. I don't think that Harvey Dent even shows up in it. 
It's like real wasted and potential. And then it becomes Tommy Lee Jones in and the it future. Becomes, yeah, I think there were some contract disputes or something. Because I think originally, yeah, Billy D. Williams doesn't have a lot to do in this one. But I think they were sort of planting the seed, knowing that they were going to do the Two-Face story later. Yeah. Um, Which and and it just... He, he he was a really cool Harvey Dent. Um, and it is kind of a shame that he didn't get more to do in this franchise or in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but about Vicki Vale, like they tried so hard to fit her in here as the lo- love interest that they created the Knox character just to have an excuse to have her in the movie. That's yeah. that's how big of a. Re- and <laughs> I'm I'm sorry if somebody is a fan. Robert <laughs> Wool is a comedy vacuum Ooh. in everything he is in. I I cannot get behind that guy. And his character was so obnoxious. I've always hated that part of this movie. Wait, which, which character? The, the, uh, the re- reporter. reporter. Um, oh, him. Uh, oh. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's just the worst part of this movie. Um, <laughs> his three lines were basically, will you marry me? Do you want to have dinner? And what does that guy have that I don't? He's supposed to be comic relief, but he's just, he's not funny at all. None of his delivery works. None of his lines work. I just, uh, it it really blows me away that they, of all the script changes that a major blockbuster goes through, this is a thing that survived all the way through all of that. It also doesn't, it's also so unnecessary because Vicki Vale originally is a reporter. And right. they, they change her in this to a photographer and then create this other reporter character. It's like, just have her be the reporter the whole time. Yeah, right. it's really strange. Yeah. Well, we got some other topics that we want to hit on before we start winding down. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the, the Batmobile and Phil thinking it's far more phallic <laughs> than he remembers it being. Please. I did not remember it uh, looking so much like a penis, but uh, <laughs> boy, there's no denying it when it showed up on screen last night. Especially when it hardens. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, I, I said that wrong. No, <laughs> no, you said it shell. Yeah, uh, I think I think you said it exactly the way it was supposed to be <laughs> interpreted. And and yet, like that design kind of carried on a little bit over to the the animated series, uh, which has one of the most iconic Batmobiles, I would argue. And oh, yeah, uh, the ambiguously gay no? duo. And the ambiguously gay duo. That's also <laughs> true. Uh, wh- one thing that stood out to me in this movie, speaking of the Batmobile, is the scene when he drives it into Axis Chemicals and a bunch of uh, people surround him and then he drops a bomb and kills those, like, seven people? Yeah. And blows up the whole factory. Also, he wasn't there. He remote controls the car like a drone to go yeah, Iron Man do 3 it. did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, he, wow, he remotely killed these men. That's which, the Batman we all know and love. Which I think, so in the context of the movie, and maybe Phil can fill it in more from being more <laughs> cognizantly aware than you and I were at the time. And also um, have writing the novelization. Don't don't forget. Also, an expert. Yeah, Phil's, Phil's deep in this. Um, I, so I feel like now, and David, you and I, at least when we were coming up through comic books, it felt like the whole Batman doesn't use guns, Batman doesn't kill people. It was like really hammered over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I mean, we know that originally Batman, in the comics had no problem killing people or just kind of letting them fall off stuff. Um, so maybe I, I, I just I imagine that when this movie was being developed and when it came out, like maybe that same conversation wasn't really going on then. Phil, can you confirm? Uh, well, I wasn't sitting in those conversations. But, uh, <laughs> no one invited you? No, 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 I was not. Uh, I, I wanted to consult on this. They kept throwing me off the studio. Yeah. Um no, I think I think it really goes back to um, what David said in the history of this movie is they wanted a darker take on it. And I also think sometimes movie people, uh, we see this more and more now, are really more interested in intellectual property and name recognition than getting the details of the character right. There's so much stuff here like, oh, the Joker killed Batman's parents. Well, Ugh. you know, like, that. that's not necessarily uh, <laughs> correct good in idea. any way. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's just been pointed out ad nauseum. And, and a lot of people gave Tim Burton a lot of crap over this, you know, saying, like, well, why is the guy who obviously knows nothing about uh, the comic lore 
making the movie adaptation. And, you know, I don't know that Tim Burton, I mean, he didn't write this. He probably just was like, oh, this will be a cool directing job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they really take some, some hard turns off of this. And, uh, that killing thing is, is right up there. I mean, this was a time of like, um, uh, Frank Miller's dark Knight graphic novels starting to come out, which was decidedly darker, but it never really broke that mold of Batman killing people. Right. Um, you know, he would beat them into comas, but not necessarily kill somebody. Which I always, I always think that if they're going to go as far as having him maiming and mangling people, like sure. they might as well just kill them. He may I, as I, well mean, I don't want anyone to die. Right. Yeah. But I mean, he's literally like these people, a lot of times, I mean, maybe not Joker or Penguin and people like that. Right. But it's like, even in this movie, it, it opens with him taking out a couple of street thugs and I'm not going to get super real here, but obviously there's so many different factors that might contribute to them being in that position. And he just beat the crap out of them and sent them to the hospital that they probably can't afford and so on and so forth. Like as a, as a character, he might as well just kill them. And yeah. as a rich guy to do that, huh? Right. Man, talk about class yeah. warfare in this movie. Was well, great. I mean, it is, that's where like Nolan really got a lot of stuff, right? Is he actually like brought that stuff into a Batman story and talked about socioeconomics and things like that. And a lot of people don't want that in their Batman, but when you want to ground it in, uh, in circumstance and, and what makes a city like, you want to just have the worst city in the world or do you want to talk about like why it's the worst city in the world and, right. and corruption. And instead it's just sort of like at the end of this movie, they basically are like, Oh, Batman threw the right criminal off of the cathedral. And now there's no more crime in Gotham yeah. City. And yeah, it's, I mean, odd. it's a very like for people who didn't get the comic book stuff, right. It's a very comic book ending to, to this movie. You know what I mean? Right. And they very unabat they had a press conference to reveal that they are now using a spotlight to summon a an unsanctioned vigilante, a vigilante. to come and solve their problems. Yeah. Yeah. To to what Phil said about uh, Tim Burton definitely was not a comic book fan coming into this. He was interested in the idea of Batman, but was not really a Batman fan. And they hired like a, a someone who was a big comic book fan to write it. Um I I'm looking up his name as Sean Ham, I believe is the gentleman's name. Uh, whose script largely was what got turned into what we see, though Tim Burton made some changes, like the Joker being the the one who killed Batman's parents. Yeah, and even now Tim Burton has kind of been like, yeah, you know that movie. It was a popcorn film. It was it was a piece of culture, but not a piece of uh, basically like a, a. How did he phrase it? Uh, he called it, he called it a cultural phenomenon and not a great movie are his words on it, which is a little bit harsh for the director to say for, especially, especially because for so many people, this was like a really iconic film. You know, this was the like superheroes were starting to suddenly like have a presence on screen and it wasn't, you know, all terrible. Right. It's not, and I think that it's it's hard like sure, maybe it wasn't quote quote unquote a great movie, but what really constitutes a great movie in certain respects. And I think for us, like uh, the whole point of this show, right, is that we're kind of revisiting the, these iconic things that we remember from our childhood. And we might as adults kind of look back and be like, Oh, I bet if I watch this it's gonna be a little questionable. But the feelings we have inside about them, that sounds really strong. Uh, <laughs> the feelings we have inside about them, you know, like we feel very passionate about them and that we really enjoy them at the time, especially when, you know, I mean, I know Phil was in high school, but you and I, when we were children, we like we didn't necessarily care that we that there was no explanation for how Joker got all of this stuff. Like, right. Right. Like it was just that this guy is spooky, creepy, funny, weird, disturbing. And like that's just making an impression on me. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't care how he gets that. It's fun to like talk about it now. Be like, how did he get that? Why is he in control of access chemicals? Blah, blah, blah. But really, as long as the the movie is delivering on the fun and the action, then it's like, oh, I don't care. He's just getting it. It's like it's like that whole thing uh, with the with the Dark Knight uh, Returns or uh, the Dark Knight Rises. It's, boy, it's hard to now keep those track all these years yeah, on. What is the Dark Knight doing now? Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's there's uh, Bruce Wayne when Gotham is like under lockdown and Bruce Wayne gets in there. I remember every, he just wanders in. Yeah. yeah. Everybody on the internet was like, "How do you get in there?" And it's like, why does it matter? He's Batman. He, you know, right. he, he snuck right. in. Who cares? <laughs> Why, where does Joker get all these, get all these things? Who cares? He's, you know, he's a criminal. 
but, but I love those moments, right? Because obviously he not only did he sneak into the city, he also spent, I'm assuming, a whole day. I can't imagine how long that must take oh, the, setting up a bat flame yeah, off of a vent. skyscraper. <laughs> like uh, It was a branch. It's, 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 it's like sort of like we never see characters going to the bathroom, right? Like no one actually really wants to see that. Like we don't need to see three hours of Batman walking across a skyscraper, putting oil or whatever he needs to light it on fire. But it's still like, Presumably, he's the one that did it. So you're just imagining Bruce Wayne now going back and forth and doing this. And it's actually hilarious. You also have to think about, you know, he doesn't leave a, a, you know, this is like mentioned in the comics. I think like he's like, I, you know, I go back to the crime scenes and I clean up all the batarangs. And I'm just imagining like Bruce Wayne being like, all right, where did that one go? Is it under this desk? Like a guy like with you know, picking up trash on the side of the road. He's just got like a little poker and he's like putting in his little batarang bag. Mm-hmm. He's got to go in the pawn shop and be like, uh, "Does someone turn in a batarang over here? I really need that." Back. <laughs> he like kills the lights, and then like one light shows up. He's like, "I'm Batman, and uh, I'm not paying for that." <laughs> All right. Well, we got a couple other uh, topics that Phil put in that I want to hit. Uh, one is horrible soundtrack, great score. Could not agree more. Danny Elfman making that. Danny iconic, Elfman's awesome. He always has been iconic he's, score. He's... for sure yeah and then of course you have prince songs in this which hey i love prince but if you want to talk about like matching up the wrong music to the wrong film i I, I watched this movie last night and i watched it with austin and uh my he's my 19 year old son and uh i was commenting on how terrible the soundtrack is and he's trying to hear it and i was like for reference i go it's the first record that uh Oh yes, that uh, Simon Pegg agrees to throw at a zombie um, in <laughs> Shaun of the Dead yes. because it it is just universally agreed that this soundtrack is horrible. I don't even remember. I remember people. It got a lot of airplay, and people were into it for a few minutes until I think they listened to it, and then everyone <laughs> was just sort of collectively like, "This is garbage," you know, like this is not a good soundtrack. It's, and uh, what are we doing? It was ne- it did not get the the phenomenon status that the movie did, I think. No, and yeah. and what's funny to me too is the the last scene in this movie is uh you know they they show that like they they turn on the symbol and it's going across the sky and then you see Batman standing there and you know he kind of looks up at it and it's a really like iconic shot. It's a really good shot. It's a cool shot. Yeah. But the the song that's playing under it is not this brilliant Danny Elfman score that you have. You know, you have this wonderful theme that Danny Elfman made, and but instead they're playing like like it was like the Star Spangled Banner or something like that. Like it was like no, <laughs> like whatever it was just sound just sounded so incongruous with what I was seeing. <laughs> it's it, and it just made me realize. So I, and I feel like I don't know if they really do it now with. I mean, like, say you have Guardians of the Galaxy, right, which has like a whole just pop soundtrack. But I feel like a lot of the movies. They're, that's just like the orchestral, orchestral, orchestral work that they do now. And then I feel like there was a period from like, say, this movie and maybe other movies um, and then up through like the early 2000s films. Because I just remembered that in Batman Forever, there was the song Kiss from a Rose by Seal yes. and Seal. Hold Me, yes. Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2. It was like they'd have these big orchestral moments, but then like they had to have some like whatever the popular artist was at the time to do a song for it that <laughs> Kiss from yeah. a Rose sounds like a really weird Batman song. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like Will Smith doing the raps at the end of all of his movies in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's like, well, we got to have... Which was great. Some, yeah, Which was great. Sure. If Michael <laughs> Keaton did a bat rap, I don't think that we would be saying <laughs> quite the same <laughs> <My> thing. <God. laughs> uh, but, it's, you know, it's something they, they want to mm-hmm. sell that... Uh, they want to sell that soundtrack. So it's like, let's have the, the, the one that's going to get radio play. Let's get seal on a Batman movie. It became like the bond themes, you know, Kinda, like, yeah. just like, let's pick out one like power ballad from, you know, a timeless mm-hmm. artist, like seal <laughs> like seal. and <laughs> seal is timeless. Damn it. <laughs> uh, poor Heidi Klum. I don't know. Uh, the last thing that I want to talk about here is because I kind of disagree with you, Phil, but I want to hear your take on this. You say that Jack Nicholson is amazing in this movie. Please do defend that stance. I think he's amazing because he is over the top. He is chewing scenery and he is 100% aware that he's doing it. I think Jack Nicholson commits. 
I don't, I, you can call his choices questionable. You can say you didn't like it, but Nicholson did not want to do this movie. No, he did not. <laughs> and he, he, he got paid residuals for this and the sequel that he was not in, plus all the toy sales. He made so much money on this. Uh, yeah. And you can't say no, no. that Nicholson phones it in for not wanting to be in this movie. He comes in, he commits, he makes choices and he goes all in on it. And I'm going to go as far as to say that he basically reprises this role in the departed. Huh. The de- his character in the departed is a super unbalanced gangster who is only a couple notches below what he's doing here. Um, he's, He's way off his rocker and totally psychotic, waving dismembered hands around and stuff like that, and just way out of touch with reality. And it's essentially the Joker all over again. It's a little more contained and a little more nuanced, but uh, I, I think the roots of it are here. Um, and this may have something to do. I, I'll admit this could be nostalgia coloring this a little bit because this was the first time I really you know, knew who Jack Nicholson was. Hmm. But even in watching it last night, I'm like, he is super fun in this. He is, he's going all in and uh, sort of unapologetic about the whole thing. And it makes this movie even weirder than it already (laughs) was without him. And I, I think, I think he's a big strength of this movie. And, and one of the things that holds up the best for me. I'm on a, Phil's side. I thought Nicholson was great. Uh, I'm not going to repeat anything that Phil said, um, but I f- I will say that I feel like if Nicholson wasn't in this movie, uh, or at least his take on Joker, and he either he or someone else was playing some other villain, um, the movie would have been awful. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, I guess I don't I don't love everything that he does, but I I mean, you're right that it's that it's totally in line with what this movie's doing. Because like as we mentioned, the tone is kind of weird and a little bit goofy and a little bit all over the place. And he's a little bit goofy and all over the place while maintaining being a little bit demented. And he does have a couple of lines that I love. Like, you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? Like, <laughs> that's really funny. That's, yeah. it, that's, that's so great. I, I, mean, I guess I don't love it overall, but it really does fit the film. So I, I can't fight you too much on it. Now you've, all right, you've convinced me, but I, does it have, does any of that have to do with how you see the Joker and you think he wasn't as true to who the Joker from comics or other, other portrayals of the character? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's sort of like everyone gives Jared Leto a hard, t- I didn't see that movie, but like everyone doesn't like Jared Leto who likes Heath Ledger, you know, everyone's sort of, like everyone has their favorite Batman. Everybody has their favorite Joker too. And sort of everything else kind of falls by the wayside. Yeah. I, I guess there's a little bit of like, he's a little bit too calm at times for how I, I guess I picture the Joker, but I, I don't know. Like I, like I said, it, it fits the film, but I did want to talk a little bit about Nicholson. Cause as you mentioned, he for sure. did not yeah. want to be in the movie and uh, he demanded top billing he has <laughs> he has earned probably 50 to as some estimates say as much as 90 million because of this movie while he only paid he only got paid 6 million uh, at the beginning those residuals oh. definitely helped out uh, he well, only got a few more cents for me last night as yeah. i uh, rented this from from itunes but um he but yeah i watched this with like i said i watched it with austin and he um to talk about nicholson's top billing too and how lost Batman seems in this. About 20 minutes in, Austin goes, uh, so this is a movie called Batman, where yes. Batman is a supporting character. He 100% is. He 100% he really is. is. Yeah. And, uh, and wearing glasses for some reason. Also a weird choice. Yeah. Oh my gosh, why? Like he put, like he had them on, and then like a minute later he takes them off. There's no explanation for why he had them, why he was wearing them, or why he took them off. They just were there. Yeah. Who knows? Tim Burton, give me a call. Well, I think now, as we're starting to wind down, uh, I have a little segment I want to do at the end. But before we get to that, I want us to take a moment of reflection. Does this stay in the halls of memory, or should people visit it today? Phil, since uh, you're the one that brought it to us, why don't you start us off? What do you think? 
I, I think uh, the light of this movie does not shine as bright as when I was 14, uh, but I still really enjoyed it. I enjoy this in a different way. Uh, uh, about halfway through, I said, this movie is effing crazy. It's <laughs> it, it's really strange. And I really like it for that. And as you pointed out earlier, um, this was the basically the reason we got the Bruce Tim Batman animated series and uh, Superman that followed it, the Tim verse, you know, um, would not have happened without this movie. So it just almost like from a historical perspective, like, you know, like, oh, if you like horror movies and monster movies, you have to watch 1933 King Kong. Like, I kind of feel like if you're into superhero movies, historically, I think you should see this movie and see kind of where kind of the roots of modern superhero movies are a lot of them are in this, this, uh, this movie here, like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movie, I think is very similar tonally to this. Hmm. And, uh, that's sort of, you can sort of trace it all trace that line through Iron Man and, you know, phase one, two, three, all the way to where we are now. And I, I think a lot of it begins here. Uh, so this is an important movie in in that way, and I think it is worth visiting if if uh, superhero movies are your jam. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think this movie definitely has cultural significance, even when it doesn't hold up uh, maybe as well today. Doesn't doesn't as you said shine quite as bright now that we've had decades of Batman movies and TV shows, and you know people who have done Batman very wrong in some ways and also but batman's been done in some amazing ways that we all sing the praises of this movie was the start of it and while i'm not going to you know say that maybe my nieces and nephews should watch it now i don't maybe they wouldn't enjoy it quite as much based on other content they have if they develop a deep love for superheroes and batman as they get older i'm gonna be like hey check this out you know see where see where batman got his resurgence after the 60s culturally right Nick, what do you think? Oh, God, no. Um, I'm not trying, just trying to say it to be au contraire. Um, it's so how do I put this? It I had a lot of fun watching it. I'm not going. It's to not, not you. It's me. What was that? Is it? It's not you. It's me. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's not that Nick's I breaking up with this movie. <laughs> yeah. I should say, I should have revised how I started this. Uh, I wanted to be really extreme, you know. Um, I would not not recommend it to people, but regardless of its, like, I, I agree maybe with the historical sentiment, but, like, it, don't go into it expecting anything. Um, like, you know, some great, some great uh, orchestral work, some great cinematography, um, just aesthetic choices, um, Jack Nicholson was amazing and we didn't touch on this, this note, but yes, Alfred is a great wingman. He, it's not like he, they, he failed in the Oh my course God, of he the threw film. him under the bus at every turn. What are you crazy? <laughs> Wait, what? No, <laughs> maybe we should add this out. Um, <laughs> technically Batman still got the girl. So, uh, um, but okay. Anyway, uh, getting back on point, the it's, it's not a great film. It's not, and I, the reasons I enjoyed it weren't necessarily for things that it did right, more for things that it did wrong. Besides, say Jack Nicholson's performance, which can, is also a very nuanced discussion, as as we already had. Um, so, in a sense, yes, it should stay in the halls of memory because I don't think it's something that we necessarily need to emulate today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like anything that's like you know, I don't know, iPhone 1.0, like what we like. No, we're not going to take what we have now and throw it away and say, let's go back to that. So I don't think we need to go back to this movie. But sure, from a historical perspective, check it out. Okay. Well, listener out there, what do you think? Did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Should the movie be watched by everybody? Or are you like Nick? And why bother? You can let us know on Twitter at hitmeonemorepod or send us an email, hitmeonemoretimepod at gmail.com. And we will read some of that feedback on the show. Before we get out, though, I have a quick segment I want to do with the two of you. Now, I threw this together, so the rules are a little bit fast and loose, but that's how we play on this show. It is called Who Got the Hate? 
As we mentioned, Michael Keaton got a little bit of hate when being cast in this movie, and he is not the only one when it comes to Batman films. Lots of people have gotten a lot of hate over the years, and so I'm going to read you some quotes from some uh, from some people on the internet and their reactions, and we'll see uh, we'll see if you guys can guess who got the hate. So I will uh, be you know not saying the names and the quotes necessarily, but we'll see what you get. All right, this first one. The whole movie depends on this casting. They'd better do it well. And Blank has the charisma of a lettuce leaf. Who do you guys think that was in reference to? Uh, and this Val is this Kilmer? is for all the Batman roles over the eyes. So Nix is Val so, Kilmer. So these, and these are these specifically the, Batman. No, no, no. Or these characters in no, the, the characters in the Batman movies. I should say. Okay. Um, Val Kilmer. So you're saying Val Kilmer, Phil? Thoughts? I'm going to say Heath Ledger. That is correct. It was Heath Ledger. Sorry, Val Kilmer. <laughs> I mean, Val Kilmer didn't exactly get love for the movies. No, no. I just remember a lot of discontent over the Heath Ledger casting. Yep. But I, I figured Heath Ledger was going to be one of these quotes, right? I never, in any of the films he did prior to the Joker, considered him to have acted like lettuce. But <laughs> uh, I also know that the people can be very extreme in their views. Yep. All right. Next one. Bad choice. Definitely won't get the female demographic. Guess the final proof will be in the lack of ticket sales. Hmm. Oh, um, won't get the fee. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely not George Clooney. Um, <laughs> well, while Nick's working, working that out, Phil, any thoughts? Uh, I'll, I'll say Uma Thurman. Okay. Nick, who do you think? It's 100% guess, by the way. I have no idea. <laughs> Whoever played Bane. Uh, it was. The, uh... <laughs> Whoever played him, nobody knows. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck got that hate. Uh, uh. You know what? I make a joke response, but like somewhere in the back of my head, I was thinking, oh, it could be Affleck. I know he's been a bit divisive. Divisive, whatever. All right. Next up. Interesting. Uh, I suppose that Blank is an actor with remarkable range, which is a one, which is a hopeful sign, but hardly proof of his ability to play an adventurer. What worries me is his looks. Blank does not look tough. Who were they talking about? Robert Pattinson. Phil, what do you think? Uh, I'll say Clooney on this one. That was Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Oh. People. That's, that's oh, okay, they're not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> <about> <laughs> definitely <it>. not. <laughs> All right, next up, please, dot, 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 no. The blank is a character that needs an actor with gravity, not some little twerp who got lucky. Who are they talking about? Is this one Pattison? Yeah, I'll say Pattison in this one as well. Nope, that was, again, Heath Ledger. For the <laughs> wow. Joker. He, oh, there was so much, there was so much hate for him. <laughs> he did get a lot of hate. That is... Is crazy. And they were it's, all it's, it's, and it's funny too because it's not like it's it's like we were just saying about or like tim burton did Wee's big adventure or john favreau did elf and then did iron man like it's it's sort of like well i've only seen this guy be in teen rom-com so he must not be capable of anything else yep which is literally the definition of typecasting well, um, the argument against patterson right now is these vampire movies that he did like 15 years ago yeah. Right. And, and nothing and, that and he's you, done since, you know. Right. And it clearly was well, I haven't actually seen but I I think probably one of the last movies I ever saw was probably one of the Twilight movies. I should correct that. Um, but I've heard nothing but great things about a lot of his independent films that he's done. So it's just funny because like someone can very easily turn on Reddit or whatever and start typing a comment about how they really hated the Twilight films, basically just ignoring everything else, all the other evidence that right. exists. Mm-hmm. Yep. Actually, uh, I'll just go ahead and and say this one. The very last one I had actually was for Robert Pattinson. Uh, <laughs> I didn't keep score, but I'm pretty sure Phil won with one point on that. Uh, but I never won the game. The one for the one for <laughs> Robert Pattinson was. Uh, excuse me for my language, but that is just effing awful. That is the the way that this quote was uh, uh, censored when I got it. So. Uh, ben Affleck had doubters, but as soon as we saw him in the suit, no one, no one doubted then. I'm a huge Batman fan, and this may very well be the first time I don't go see the movie. Spoiler alert, this guy is going to see that movie. 
Would this quote come before for the casting, or did it come after they revealed Pattison in the bat suit? After the suit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, just goes to show, no matter who you are, when you get cast as Batman or in a Batman role, someone's gonna doubt you. Yeah. There's no. There's no winning any of that. And any of these big fandoms, you're just you're up against the wall from minute one. Yep. Yeah. That's how it goes. Well, that's going to do it for us here on the show. Before we get out of here, we'll do a quick round the table, see what people are up to. Phil, where can people find you? you uh, com. You can get me all my social media, my store, everything else from there. Uh, it's just the hub. Yep. PhilRude.com. Check it out, guys. Do yourself a favor. If, you're, if you don't know Phil already, he is a worthy follow in so many ways. Well, thanks. Yeah. Nick, what you got going on? Anything to plug? Uh, uh i'll uh be in the nick cave all right uh the people you want to find out stuff that i'm up to you just follow me on twitter at devluz that is d-a-v-l-u-z that is going to do it for us here on the show thank you for giving it a listen thank you nick thank you phil and uh i i thought of the sign off nick are you excited i thought of a way to end the show was that it? No, this is it's coming up. I'm just I'm building it up. Oh, I built it up way too much. Know, now. I'm, exci- I'm excited. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, or whatever the Joker says in Dark Knight. Hit me, hit me. Thank you again for listening, and remember that you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time. Hey!